Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, before you sit, uh, do me a favor, look at somebody beside you and say, man, I'm glad you made it tonight. I'm just glad. I'm glad. I see people not getting, not getting spoken to here in Clemson, so come on, make sure everybody gets told, I'm glad you made it tonight. Come on. All right. And then you can, then you can have a seat. Thank you. Uh, thanks for being here. I know in some parts of the state tonight, there were some like tornadoes and stuff, so that's kind of wild, right? My name's Caleb. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here on staff at New Spring. I just want to take a second here before I jump in. I just want to say, I, I, I want to acknowledge fully that in uh, 2022, it's different, right? Like it's just different, period. That's just probably a, a good way to describe the world. It's definitely different to be a Christian. In uh, 2021, November of, uh, sorry, September of 2021, 4.4 million American workers quit their job. Uh, what's been called the Great Resignation. It was the, the highest recorded month in the history of the world. 3% of the American workforce, they quit their job. Some for good reasons, right? They weren't making enough money to pay their bills. They needed to relocate to somewhere because of life change difference. Uh, it's 4.4 million people until November of 2021 when 4.5 million people quit their jobs. And in a three-month stretch, we had two months where a record was set for the most amount of people ever recorded in the world to quit their jobs. We live, you live, you are coming of age in uh, the age of quitting. And I just want to tell you that uh, if there's any advice to be had from the word and any advice to be had from those before us, that following Christ is not something that we want to quit at, right? We don't want to be quitters when it comes to following Jesus. We want to figure out how to actually make it. We want to figure out how to actually build lives that make it. How many of you know somebody that uh, was once a Christian or was once walking with the Lord and now they don't anymore? So 64% of young adults that have belonged to the church have left. And you're here, right? So I'm not here to talk about the ones that aren't here. I'm here to talk to the ones that are here. The reality is it's challenging. And uh, we find ourselves in, in a new day and age, and I hope to get into it tonight and help, hopefully help to be practical and helpful to you as you try to figure out how to survive and thrive. In uh, 601 BC, King, king Jehoiakim, who was the king of Judah, which was the southern kingdom of Israel, Israel was split into two kings at the time, uh, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. He officially declared his allegiance away from Egypt and to Babylon. It's a strategic thing. Uh, governments do it. You can see it actually happening in the world today. So he officially declares his allegiance away from Egypt and to Babylon. In order to do that, he goes into the treasury of Judah and he pays tribute, literally gives a bunch of money over to the Babylonians and officially declares his allegiance to the Babylonians. And so King Nebuchadnezzar at the time, he's in the Bible, you've maybe read him if you grew up reading the Bible. He launches a military operation to occupy Egypt and uh, much like what, you know, Putin was expecting to happen in the Ukraine, he expects it to go easily, expects to, to just kind of occupy Egypt, and it doesn't happen. In fact, Pharaoh and the Egyptian army sort of smash uh, Nebuchadnezzar around a little bit, so much so that he loses a ton of respect uh, from the surrounding nations, including from King Jehoiakim, who was the king of Judah, the southern part of, of, of the nation of Israel, and he takes back his allegiance to Babylon. He says, if you're this weak as a king, there's no reason that we would be affiliated with you. We have no, there's no advantage, strategic advantage to be had here. So he pulls back his allegiance. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, like most warlords and, you know, men that have big egos that typically end up being short and have little man syndrome, what he does is he doesn't take it very kindly. 
So in uh, 598 BC, in November of 598 BC, Nebuchadnezzar assembles the Babylonian army, marches across the desert, invades Jerusalem. And as we see in the scriptures, he does what says laid siege to the city. He destroys Jerusalem. He takes the Israelites captive and he drags them across the desert where for the next 70-ish years they live in exile in Babylon. And that's the setting for the book of Daniel. If you go read the book of Daniel in the Bible, if you read the prophecies found in the books of Ezekiel, what you'll find is Jewish men and women who were once in their land, in the promised land that God had given them, and because of just both their own idolatry and foolish decision-making, and also because of just the way that the world works, they found themselves in exile in a land that was not theirs, in a culture that was not theirs. And so... Something interesting happened if you go read the book of Daniel and you study Daniel's life and three guys that you'll find in that, in that book with him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? If you grew up, anybody grew up on VeggieTales? Is that a whole, did it, okay, cool. I was just afraid for a second. I'm not, I'm not young anymore, unfortunately. And I'm just, you know, I try these bits out and I'm not sure if they still work anymore. So anyway, VeggieTales, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you've probably seen them thrown in the fire. That didn't happen. The story of Daniel and the lion's den, I mean, it didn't happen like they didn't die is what I'm saying. So uh, Daniel and the lion's den, like there's all kind of crazy visions and dreams all through the book of Daniel but something amazing happens Daniel and his friends in a culture that is completely averse to God and to his kingdom they don't just survive their religious identity is not just waning and waning and waning it actually is strengthened their religious identity and their culture is actually strengthened and even though they're tempted to absolutely undo their entire Jewish religious identity their worship of God they actually see Babylon kind of transformed until uh, Cyrus the king of Persia comes in and smashes the Babylonians and sends the Jews back across the desert to go rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and uh, so what we want to do, what I want to offer to you is that much like Daniel and his young friends found themselves in literal Babylon in a culture that was very averse to them, you and I can find some similarities to being followers of Christ in the world today. Babylon was not neutral. Babylon was not uh, okay with them just sort of being Christians. Babylon was against their values. Babylon was against their focus on God. Babylon was anti them growing in their strength and in their faith. And the world today, the world that you live in, the world that I live in, it's not neutral. There was a time 20, 30 years ago where nobody cared if you were a Christian or not because it wasn't actually having an effect on their values, their cultural worldview, or the way that they decided to live their life. But now in 2022, I'm sorry to say it's unfair to you, but this is the hand that you've been dealt. If you decide to act and actually practice your Christian values, you will be worked over. It's running face up against the way that the world is trying to go. This was not the case when I was 15 years old. It's happened quickly, but this is the world that you've been given. In 1995, there's a guy named David Kinneman who's a social researcher who started the organization called Barna. If you've ever heard of Barna, they're a research group. And basically, he did this because he wanted to study the world and offer to churches and schools and nonprofit organizations helpful social data to actually help them try to figure out more about their audience and how to be good at what they do. And he wrote a book a few years ago called Faith for Exiles. And this book opens up with David Kinneman sending his uh, daughter off to college at UC Berkeley, which is a fantastic school. She, he and his wife both went to a very uh, sort of conservative Christian school, conservative Christian values. 
And their daughter is a really brilliant, bright young mind. She wants to go study science. She gets into UC Berkeley. He's stoked for her, but he's freaking out because he's getting ready to send his little girl off to a very liberal, very progressive school in a big city with a whole lot that's standing against the way that he's been raised and what he's been taught. And so he puts together this book called Faith for Exiles where he essentially says that the Babylon that she's living in is digital Babylon. That she is being raised, she is being trained, she is being formed in a digital Babylon and he offers five practices for us. In ways that we can actually survive, not just survive, but to thrive in digital Babylon. All right. So if you have notes, if you want to take notes, I'm going to give you five practices that will be helpful for you in forming and developing your Christian identity in a way that hopefully like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, you won't just survive, but it will be strengthened and you will thrive as you, you know, sort of figure out how to navigate the world today. All right. If you're ready, say yeah. All right, cool. Practice number one, to form a resilient identity, experience intimacy with Jesus. To form a resilient identity, experience intimacy with Jesus. Experiencing Jesus, not just knowing Jesus, but experiencing Jesus, it means clearing religious clutter for closeness with and joy in Christ. When's the last time that you had that? When's the last time that you communed with God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, either in a time of worship or out on the mountain or out on the beach or wherever? When's the last time that you experienced God? Too many of us try to approach knowing Jesus like we can know Abraham Lincoln, where you can Google some facts about him and tell some cool things about him. But we're not called to know Jesus like that. We're called to know Jesus personally. We're called to know him like we know a friend, like we relate to a, you know, to, to a trusted source, like we have this intimacy with him. It's not enough. It's not enough anymore to just have a rap sheet of religious practices that you can check the box on and feel good about. In fact, Jesus went after the guys that thought that that was the way to approach a relationship with God. The Pharisees were fantastic about this. They had their public displays of worship. They had their public relationship with God. In fact, you could not build a case against their public relationship with God. And Jesus shows up in chapter 11 of the book of Luke, verse 46, and he says this to them. Woe to you experts in the law. You crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. Does your relationship with God feel like that? Does it feel like this religious obligation where you have to just do all the right things to gain all the right favor, to open up the right doors, to experience the right results? Or is it just a joy to be with God through Christ? To form a resilient identity in a world that's constantly trying to attack your identity, it's not enough to just have the head knowledge of who you are in Christ. You and I have got to have our spirits filled by walking in intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit. Practice number two. You ready? Am I going too fast? Is this okay? I talk fast. I can't stay up this late unless I've had a lot of coffee, so my mind's all over the place right now. Two, in a complex and anxious age, develop the muscles of cultural discernment. In a complex and anxious age, develop the muscles of cultural discernment. If you want to follow Christ successfully for a long time and not quit, you're going to have to develop some muscles of cultural discernment. You're going to have to. Exercising cultural discernment means taking part in a robust learning community 
under the authority of the Bible in order to wisely navigate an accelerated, complex culture. Let me, let me just say this to you. Because of your phone, because of your, your skill level with the internet and technology, you know more than I do. You know more than your parents. A lot of times you can sit in class and you can fact check your professor while they're teaching you, right? Like if they say something wrong, you can roast them on the spot. But guess what you don't have? Context. Guess what I don't have right now that my 57, 67-year-old father does? He has context for how this stuff's supposed to work together. And all this information overload, while it seems like an advantage to us, in fact, what it's creating is the most anxious generation that's ever walked the earth. We're told, oh, man, I just need more data. I need more info. I need to know the right answers. And then we get the phones and we get the world and we get all the right answers. And all of us are on all kind of crazy medication because we're anxious. Why? Because what's more important than just knowing everything is knowing what to do with this stuff. Cultural discernment is clutch. Let me show you an example. This is not in jest. Okay, This is not a statement about anything. It's not a political statement. just want to show you this picture. Uh, the difference. In 1903... The woman of the year was Marie Curie. Does anybody know who Marie Curie was? Yes. Fantastic young woman. Won the Nobel Peace Prize. My mom right now is going through chemo and radiation. The reason she can go through radiation is because in 1903, this young lady essentially discovers that radiation can be used and developed. The technology can be used to help uh, World War I vets, I think, essentially is how it worked. In 100 years, as the world has changed, 2015, the woman of the year was Caitlyn Jenner. Formerly Bruce Jenner, the Olympic gold medalist who has, you know, transitioned over into identifying as a female. I'm not saying this in jest. This is not me making a poke at something. What I'm trying to tell you is it shouldn't take you long to figure out how different the world is for you than it was for your grandparents. Don't be surprised when they don't know how to talk to you about the way that your world is today. Right? This makes sense. And it doesn't matter, just so you know, like the reason it's important as followers of Christ to be aware to know what's happening in the world, but to also develop muscles of cultural discernment is because none of the arguments, none of the ways that you're being persuaded, none of them have an actual base to argue. It just moves. The target moves all the time. We're not trying to win arguments, friends. We're trying to win hearts. We're trying to develop lifetime habits with Christ that can sustain us even if the world continues to change. All right? You guys okay? I didn't mean for it to get too serious there. Are we okay? I thought this was rally. We're like adults, right? I talk to teenagers for my job all the time. Infused, I can't do this kind of thing. So I have to do it with you guys, all right? Church has to be a place where you can ask your questions. I know that you're in the South. Those of you who are transplants from other parts of the country, let me tell you what, is good, what you're going to experience in a couple of weeks. You're going to go to church on Easter Sunday. You're going to see people dressed in the most fantastic clothing. Seer sucker suits, pastels. It's amazing. If anybody makes fun of me, you tell them to shut up. Easter in the South is amazing. It's fantastic. And you know what's going to happen? Those people aren't going to come to church again until next Easter. It's just this thing. And sort of the stigma that's kind of happened is that church is the only place you can actually talk about your life. You ever felt that? Like, no, there's no like written rules. Like nobody puts those rules on paper. Like, you know what? When you come to church, at church, you can't really talk about that. Yeah, but I'm really struggling with this. Yeah, but not, not here you're not, you know. Not here you're not. You see that seer sucker suit? Yeah, you're not struggling around that. You know, we're fine. <laughs> church has to be a place where you can ask your questions. So let me ask you a question. When's the last time you had an honest conversation with your group, your community about who you actually are? And maybe it's not as serious as like, 
you know, a transgender conversation or something that's on a, on, a, on a complete new level of what's happening in the world today. But when's the last time you opened up about just how anxious you really are? When's the last time you had an honest conversation about how much stress you're actually under? When's the last time you had an honest conversation about the feelings that you have toward a boyfriend or girlfriend? Church has to be the place where we work this stuff out. This is the environment where together we look across the aisle from brothers and sisters and we say, hey, you're under the impression that I'm not perfect too, right? Okay, good. Because I got some problems and I need help and I need to work through this. And in a robust learning community. That's why I love so much being with people that like the majority of us are in college. You want to know why? At least the purpose of college is to expose you to new ideas, to test your theories, to train you on things you're going to be good at. We've got to have this approach in Christianity. If somebody throws out an idea that seems asinine to you, don't let it hurt your faith. You should dive in and go, what is that? Tell me about that. I'm curious about that, right? It blew my mind uh, when I went to the middle of the Sahara Desert and I was meeting with Muslim imams and they knew more of the New Testament than me. I had been taught in the South, like, oh man, they're all over there to like kill Americans, right? Like, what are we doing? And I get over there and they freaking love me. And they're like asking me questions about Jesus and stuff. I'm like, what's going on? That has nothing to do with this point. I'm just telling you, man, the world's awesome. Learn about it, right? Cultural discernment. I got so off topic there. Oh, man. What I'm saying is go to the Middle East. It's awesome. It's hot, though. Okay. Um, Practice number three. Are you ready? Are these practices helpful to you? They've been super helpful to me, and I'm trying to pass them along to you. They are very helpful practices. All right. When isolation and mistrust, thank you, COVID. Anybody spend way more time by yourself than you ever wanted to over the last few years? What? You guys are all introverted and like being by yourselves? It was cool for like a day. And then I just have three little kids in my house, so I was ready to just, I just need the world to open up. I didn't care. Anyway, when isolation and mistrust are the norms, you've got to forge meaningful intergenerational relationships. Let me put it in simple terms. You better get you a mentor. Find somebody that's older than you and shut your mouth after you ask them this question. Fix me. Teach me. Show me. Serious, man. I'm serious. This context thing is massive. This has absolutely changed my life. All throughout my life, I have been fortunate enough to have mentors, and they have helped me out of the craziest of situations. I've had financial mentors that helped me make sense of my situation. I've had spiritual mentors. My wife and I have had relational mentors. I just need people that are older than me that have gone before that can just say, hey, I know the world's different for you, but whether you're alive in 1700s or right now, that's a stupid decision right? Come on. I've got this old man that comes to my office every two weeks. He's 78, 80 years old. He's got a double doctorate. He studied at Cambridge. He's brilliant. He lives in Belton, South Carolina. What? Who does that? Who goes to Cambridge and lives in Belton? This guy, apparently. And he comes to my office every two weeks. You know what we talk about? I have no idea. We talk about everything. For the last month, he's been trying to tell me about the Soviet Union and how Putin's reworking and how and why NATO is not in good. Like, we talk about the most ridiculous stuff. But you know what happens when he walks in my office? I feel peace. Because the world is insane right now. And it's nice to see somebody that's 80 who's going, yeah, it was pretty crazy. You should have seen the Cuban Missile Crisis. <laughs> right? And you're like, Cuban Missile Crisis? What? It's helpful. When isolation and mistrust have become the norm in our lives, we've got to forge some meaningful intergenerational relationships. Young men, 
You need to have somebody that's got a business life and a family life and a, 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 you know, a church engagement life that you look up to and you need to spend as much money as it takes to buy them breakfast, get on their calendar and let them teach you how to do it. Let them help. Let them offer that to you. Young women, if, there's, if you have dreams of being a mom or dreams of being a wife or dreams of having this family life, you need to go offer help to an older woman somewhere in your community. Say, let me watch the kids. Let me help do something. If you can just teach me your ways, right? Help me. This is a massive thing because you ready? When we get to the end, I'm going to tell you this. You're not children anymore and you haven't been for a long time and pretty soon you're going to be, be required to actually be a mentor. Some of you are already in that phase. So it's helpful to always have somebody mentoring you as you're pouring out and mentoring someone else all right number four this one's going to be good to ground and motivate an ambitious generation let me pause there I'm what's called a millennial you guys heard that term millennial let me tell you what was thrown around about millennials we're lazy we're self-obsessed, we don't care, we quit too early, and we all hated it. And then guess what happened? You know those 9 million people that quit their jobs? Guess what they were? Millennials. <laughs> we didn't care, man, we quit. We just quit our jobs. Don't, you don't pay us enough, so we quit. We don't care. You know what's not true about the next generation, though, about Gen Z? They're not like that at all. They are go-getters, entrepreneurs, starting things, starting business. The reason the tech boom is going so hard right now is because of young people with cell phones. It's crazy. We have a very ambitious generation that's coming through. People starting business at ages they never imagined would be started. And successful business. I mean, like, really successful business. I have a friend of mine who's younger than 30, made $160 million last year. From a business he started himself. It's insane. We have a young, ambitious generation. So I'm saying that to tell you this. To ground and motivate an ambitious generation, we have to train for vocational discipleship. That means this, 99.9% .9 of your following Jesus is going to be lived out the way that you work. Let me tell you a story. When I was 15 years old, I wrecked a car. I didn't have my driver's license. I wasn't supposed to be driving, but I wrecked a car. It wasn't my car because I didn't have a car because I wasn't old enough to be driving. I won't tell you about me uh, in those days because you would not think I should be allowed to be on stage and teach. But let's just say I wasn't in the best frame of mind if you can put two and two together to figure out how I wrecked this car. I digress. Um, I wrecked this car and I called my dad and I'm like, Dad, I messed up. I wrecked, you know, this girl's car. And he's like, what? You know, like trying to explain to him that I wrecked this car. And he's like, you don't even, you haven't even taken your permit test. Like, what, what is it going to I'm like, just trust me. I wrecked this car. I need your help. He's like, all right. So he came and picked me up. He bailed me out. And he's like, I'm not paying for this. And I was like, I don't have any money. And he's like, that's not my problem. I'm not paying for this. You owe this guy like a couple thousand dollars. I was like, all right, fine. So I got a job at the world famous Skins Hot Dogs in Anderson, South Carolina. Because it was one of two places that would hire a 15-year-old. And it was sort of on the way to my dad's work. So he didn't mind dropping me off, all right. So I worked at Skins Hot Dogs. And man, I grinded it out. And honestly, by the end of my time there, I kind of loved working at Skins Hot Dogs. It was kind of awesome. Uh, and I'm still, I'm still not sick of hot dogs, so whatever. Anyway, so I, I finished the end of the summer, and I've not, I mean, I, literally, I would take my paycheck. I would go and I would cash it at BB&T, right, which is where I bank. I'd cash it at BB&T. My dad would drive me over to Lauren's house, and I would just put the money in her mailbox for the whole summer until I finally paid off his debt. It stunk, but it taught me a lot. From there, uh, I started sort of working at the church like five days after I graduated high school. I was a worship leader. I used to sing. used to have big gauged up earrings. I got some tattoos you can't see. Like I was a totally different guy. I thought I was cool. Don't worry about it. But um, 
you know, I did this whole thing, and I, but I was like making, I was making like 400 bucks a month. It was like very part-time money. And I moved in with my friend, and I was like, you know, I told my dad I'm not going to college. He was like, that's fine, but you're not going to live in my house. I was like, all right, sweet. So I moved in with this guy I met. We were playing basketball. He said he was buying a house. I was like, great, I need a house to live in. So I moved in with him. And I got paid 400 bucks, and my rent was 350. You know what I'm saying? So I tithed 40 bucks, and I you know, gave him $350. I had $10. And I remember thinking like, if this is what being a grown up is, this freaking sucks. Like I do not want to do this. So I had to get jobs, right? Like I, I started some landscaping jobs. There were some guys that came over to put uh, shingles on the roof at the house right beside me. So I became a roofer for a little while because it turns out they don't care if you got any sort of skills, you just get up on the roof and just start laying stuff out. I mean, I did everything. I started uh, recording CDs. I sold them out of the trunk of my car. I'd drive around and do concerts, sell people my CDs. I was, gr- I was in grind mode, man. It was awesome. But you know, why I tell you all that I don't know how to be a teacher for the glory of God in a public school system I don't know how to run a business in a way that really takes care of employees and, and glorifies God. I don't know how to do that you know what I've done for the last 13 years is basically read the Bible and taught it to people so you've got to figure out how to find mentors and people that can actually train you in vocational discipleship too many people for too long have expected to come to church and experience the gospel for the first time when they're going to work with you every day We've got to flip the script. We've got to reverse the conversation so that when you actually find your work that you want to do for the glory of God, that you do it in a way that shows people that God is not just interested in the way you behave at 9.15 on a Sunday morning, but rather we are called to do life with God every single day. We've got to train for vocational discipleship. This is a really good time if you're in college right now and you're in your major and trying to figure it out. This is a great time to go ahead and find some people that are doing this. Set your patterns to their sort of way of life. Figure out who's doing this in a way that you want to imitate and go after these people. All right. Um, last practice. This is a good one. You're going to like me somewhat, and then you're not going to like me at the end of it. But that's all right. All right, practice number five. Curb entitlement and self-centered tendencies by engaging in counter-cultural mission. Raise your hand if you're entitled. Raise your hand if you're lying, because everybody raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. Come on, this is us. We're all entitled. You want to know why? Because in some ways, we have to be. In some ways, being all consumed with ourselves is actually a pretty solid survival tactic, right? Like if you grow up, some, some of you guys may have grown up like with money, right? And let me tell you how you can tell whether somebody grew up with money or they didn't. Go eat with them, all right? People that didn't grow up with money, they ain't really interested in talking when the food hits the table. Because they spent their whole life just, nah, I got I to eat, I got to survive, right? And then you go to eat with somebody that's like, I remember my, my, my wife kind of grew up with like, her, her family's got some money, they come from Charlotte, whatever. But I remember like, we got to eat the first time and she's expecting over the date, like, man, we're supposed to like talk. Well, you know, like this, oh, yeah, we're going to take a bite, and then we're going to talk. And I'm like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat the second my food hits my plate because I'm hungry and it's hot, and then we can go get ice cream or something, you can talk. But, like, but here's the deal. We're all entitled. In some ways, we build our world around our preference. In some ways, we build our experience in life around the things that we want, the things that make us comfortable, the things that, you know, are, are the easiest for us to learn. And it's not always sin. Yes, it sort of is sin because we have a sin nature and we're bent a certain way. But sometimes it's just the way that we learn how to survive. Sometimes you grow up in a home where if you didn't care for yourself, you weren't going to get cared for. 
Sometimes you, you know, you, you're in a friend group where it's just so sort of aggressive that if you don't learn to protect yourself, if you don't learn to set yourself as priority number one, you're just going to disappear or get run over. So I'm not here to just like knock us for being obsessed or, or sort of self-centered, but I am here to tell you this, that following Jesus is not about comfort. It's not about building a life where you are at the center and your priorities are number one. And so many of us, the reason that we have left church, the reason that we have just sort of bailed on a faith generation is because of something that we just didn't like. And this is hard, man. This is hard because nobody's going to show up and encourage you for doing something that you didn't want to do. Nobody's going to show up and, and pat you on the back for engaging in countercultural mission. You'll find this out the second, the first time you got to turn taxes in. The first time you got to turn taxes in and you owe somebody a lot of money, I promise you I got a bunch of 1099 contract jobs back in the day. And nobody told me they didn't take 30-something percent out of those paychecks and go ahead and pay Uncle Sam. And I turned my taxes in. I was 19. They're like, yeah, you owe us X number of money. And I was like, what do you mean? It's like expensive to live. Surely I've paid it to somebody. And they're like, no, you got to pay taxes. And I remember thinking like, man, this is, this is insane. All I'm saying is this. You got to figure out how to build your life in a way where it's not about you. Nobody's going to applaud you for getting up and doing your laundry. Nobody's going to applaud you for living your life in a way when nobody else is looking. Nobody's going to say thank you. So get that out of your mind. One day you'll hear it. You'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're all hoping to. But as you engage in countercultural mission here and now, you will stand out. But more than standing out, you'll survive. And the day, the spirit of the age, the temptation of what's happening in the world right now is not going to drag you down with it. You're going to survive. So let me ask you this. Who and where are you serving right now? If I took your calendar and I looked at every single thing that you put on it this week, could you be guilty in a court of law of being a Christian? Because you are serving somebody who's benefiting from your relationship with God. It doesn't do you any good to be big, fat, and happy and got this whole spirit thing figured out and nobody's benefiting from it. Who are you serving? Where are you helping? Who are the poor people that you're doing stuff for? Who are the people that are in need that you're helping? Who are the younger generation that you're mentoring? Who is it in your life that's experiencing the blessings of your relationship with God? Nobody's going to say thank you. Don't expect somebody to say thank you. But do it. Engage in countercultural mission. So I just want to offer just a bit of a recap, and then we're just going to, we're going to respond tonight. And here's why we respond. If you ever come to a church service and you're like, why at the end of the message do we just sing these songs and people pray or lay on the floor or whatever? Here's the way I like to think about it. Because of technology, I read all of my books right now on my phone. I got, you know, I got what's called Hoopla. It's basically like poor man's, you know, Kindle, where you can just like use your library card and get them for free. I told you I didn't grow up with money. It's hard to break these poor man habits, I'm telling you. And I always listen to the books on audiobook, and if something stands out, you know what I do? Boom, I hit bookmark. Because if I want to go back to it, I know where to go. I don't have to search the whole book. I just go to the bookmark, and I go, man, sometimes we, when we respond, it's you just making, putting a bookmark in what God's doing in your life. As you're going throughout your day, man, maybe, maybe one of these practices stood out to you. You know, man, I know i got to do something. Then tonight you need to put a bookmark in it, and you need to be able to come back to it. So whether that response is like, through song, you need to find some space. You need to pray. You need to confess some things to God. You need to work on practice one, which is like this intimacy, this intimate relationship with God. Some of you need to come back to like real life communion with God. Like you are way activity based in your relationship with God and you got all the right boxes checked, but you feel like you hadn't hung out with God in a while. Tonight, you need to do that. That's what your bookmark is tonight. 
Some of you, you know, you just, you've gotten in the habit of building your whole entire life around you and your preferences and your comforts. And tonight you need to go, you know what, man? This is just hitting it. Like, I, I, I got to serve somebody. I got to do something for somebody else. And the bookmark you need to make tonight is you need to make a pact with some of your friends, with a group leader, with somebody. You need to say, you know what, I'm going to start serving. I, I maybe have a busy semester coming up, and I don't have a whole lot of margin, but I got somewhere that I can give back. I got somebody that I can serve. I got something that I can do. Some of you in here um, maybe, maybe need to work on your cultural discernment, right? Like maybe the way that the world has changed so fast over the last couple of years has sent you absolutely spinning, and you feel lost. You've lost your identity. You feel not confident. Maybe your anxiety and stress levels are through the roof because you don't know how to find ground. Like, if that's you, then, man, let's get some prayer tonight. Let's get some help. Let's begin the conversation so we can begin the road back to finding ourselves. We're in digital Babylon, y'all. We're in Babylon. It should be hard to follow Jesus. If you don't want to quit, it's because you probably ain't even trying. Right? Like, if you, don't, if you don't bump into the devil every now and then, y'all might be going the same way, right? Isn't that the saying? Like, it should be hard. It's hard right now. I'm telling you, I'm 30 years old. I'm a better Christian now than I've ever been, and it's harder now. I don't struggle with the same stuff I struggled with when I was 19 and 20 years old, and it's harder to be a Christian today than it ever has been in my life. I got a whole lot of people trying to convince me of stuff. I got a whole lot of voices trying to take my attention for stuff, and I got to deal with the news that Tiger Woods is playing in the Masters again this year. How am I supposed to handle this emotional journey, right? I don't know what your bookmark is tonight. I don't know where you're at in your journey. Here's what I know, though. Be encouraged if it's hard for you to follow Jesus right now. You're in great company. You're in great company. But don't just stop at getting inspired. Don't just stop at getting all jacked up on worship. Don't just stop at getting all spirit. We got to put some practices in place that are going to make sure that in five years, when you can't be in this setting anymore because you got your first job and they shipped you off to Chicago or wherever, like, and it ain't easy to follow Jesus, that you don't just die, right? That you don't just get wherever you're going to get to when you get your first big promotion and they send you off and you just don't even think about Jesus anymore we got to put some practices in place. So why don't every campus, why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you put your stuff down? Why don't you stand up? Let me pray for you. And then um, bands will come back out. We'll pray a little bit. We'll sing a little bit. My only challenge is this. Man, if you got something you need to do tonight, please do it before you leave. I've, I've been in too many settings where I knew God was doing something in my heart. I knew I needed to take a step. I knew I knew there was some action that I needed to, to put on something, and I just didn't do it. And then you just forget, or, or you get busy, or whatever. So why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes, and let me pray. Let me pray for you, and, uh, and we'll sing a little bit. While, while we're in here with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, if tonight you feel like, man, your spiritual tank is just empty, and you just need, a, you need to, you just want me to pray for you. Will you just raise your hand? Let me just, let me just pray for you. Amen. Amen. Yeah, amen. Yeah. All right, God, we just, we, we get it. It's, it's hard. It's, it's, we didn't ask to be born and alive right now, but for whatever reason, you thought now would be a good time for us to be the age we are. You thought now would be a good time for us to be alive in the year that we're in. And we trust you. And we trust your plan. And we trust your wisdom. And we trust your strength. But we need your help. ton of people just in this room Father, just acknowledge they are about you. They are about your ways. They want your kingdom, and it is just hard, and they need a filling of the Holy Spirit. So I just ask, helper, comforter, would you come? Would you fill us up? We're told to pray, to be filled with the Spirit consistently, to be being filled. So I just ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and just plug it in?
fill our tanks. Give us strength. Give us endurance. For anybody in here that's just, man, they're just struggling right now. God, give them endurance. Give them some faith. Fill them back up. For anybody in here that's just on the treadmill of religious activity and feel like their relationship with you, God, is just this duty, this obligation. Would tonight, would you just smother them in some love so they would realize it's about intimacy with you? God, would you help us? We're telling you right now, we want to make it. We want to make it. We don't want to quit. We don't want to fall off to the side. Not only that, we want to thrive so that our friends who have fallen away, that they would come back into communion with you. We want to burn for you, Jesus. We want, to be, we, we want to be legit. We want to be serious. We want to be close with you. And we need your help now more than ever. So in this moment, Holy Spirit, we just sit for a second quietly. And we just ask, would you speak to us?